designed not only to speak to those who are looking toward marriage in the future, but also those who are currently married. Now, here's the married, married. And here's the truth. Here's the truth we all know. All of us have been impacted by marriage in some way, positively or negatively, all right? The challenge for, for a lot of our community and, and even those within the church today is a lot of us have been impacted by marriage in a negative way. In fact, just by, just by an honest show of hands, how many of you, either directly or through your family, have been impacted by separation, divorce, infidelity, something as it pertains to a negative issue in marriage? Raise your hand if you've been impacted by that. See, if you look around, all of us, okay? All of us are in this space, even if you're not married yet. If you're, a, if you're a student, if you're a child, if you're a grandparent, you have been impacted by this issue called marriage in, in, in negative ways. And, and our goal is, why can't we be impacted in positive ways, right? When, when God created the idea of marriage, I don't think he thought, you know what, let's make this one of the most negative experiences people can have on planet Earth. I don't think that's what he had in mind. In fact, marriage is one of the greatest gifts of God. One of the earliest gifts after creation that God made was bringing man and woman together. But we know that marriage has challenges. We know that it's not easy. We know that there is a sense of labor involved in it. But this series is designed to, to invest in strengthening current marriages and in giving a, a, a positive perspective on those who are looking toward marriage. Some of you have been divorced widowed, and maybe you're kind of going, you know what, I'm not done yet. I still need this sense of partnership, and this series is for you as well. In fact, anytime we talk about marriage, let me just be honest with what we all do. Anytime we talk about marriage, we go, this is for somebody else. This isn't for me. I'm here today, but it's not for me. This is for the guy sitting next to me, or this is for the lady sitting across the room, or this is for my, my kids. They need to hear this, but it's certainly not for me. We have this tendency when it comes to talking about marriage to say it's for somebody else. It's not for me. But I, I'm hoping to clear that all up. In fact, here's, here's a graphic I hope to clear that all up with. This shows relational status. Okay, how many know that when you got on social media, part of your options were to choose your relational status, right? Okay, so, so you see here a whole spectrum of relationships. Some of you might find yourself in one or two of these, okay? Now, the question is, when we come to this series, The Vow, how many relationships within this perspective are we going to be addressing? And the answer is all of them. We're going to address all manner of relationship. If you are single and loving it, Eventually, you won't be single and loving it, all right? Uh, if it's complicated, if that's kind of your relational status, our prayer is God helps simplify this and not make it complicated. If you're happily married and loving it too, this series is for everybody. So, so what, do me a favor over the next four weeks and don't say, oh man, he's talking about marriage. It's not for us. Don't, don't do that. Here's why this is important. Some of you are looking toward marriage. Some of you are in it. Some of you have been helping family members going through struggles in marriage. And this will give you some opportunity to invest in their lives as well. So this is for all of us. All of our hearts are going to be open. And here's what I want you to do for me this, this whole month. This is the month of love, isn't it? Here in February, the month of love. Guys, don't forget it. There's a really important date coming up just about 10 days away from today. Don't, don't space it, all right? This is the month of love, and I think that God is a God of love, right? In fact, the Bible says that we love, why? Because he first loved us, right? So this is a month of love. So do me a favor. The month of February, I want all of us to be praying 
for marriages in our church body. Because marriages that are struggling abound within the walls of this church and within our community. So I want you to covet to join me in praying for marriages over this next month. And then obviously beyond, but we certainly want to have focused prayer over this month for marriages. So how many of you, when you were thinking about marriage, now some of this, this might be like years ago, all right? This might be like 40, 50 years ago. For others, it might be 25 like this for me, 25 years ago that Trisha and I got married. For others, it might have been just more recently. But how many of you remember that as you were approaching marriage, you had expectations, right? I mean, ladies, yours might have been something like this. You had the perfect husband in your mind. You had the perfect house. You had the perfect pet. You had the perfect children. In fact, you named all your perfect children, and you had it all planned out. Any ladies like that? You had it all planned out. Before you got married, you kind of you knew what it was going to look like, right? Guys, how many know you had a different kind of fantasy when it came to facing marriage, all right? You had a little bit different. You didn't have your kid's name, perhaps. You, you didn't have a house. You didn't have a perfect thing, you, but you had something in mind, all right? And you thought every day... This is what I'm going to enjoy in this part of being married. We all came to marriage with expectations. Now, how many know that when real life hit, expectations kind of went out the window? It's true, isn't it? Sometimes the visions we have for marriage are not what happens when marriage actually occurs and takes place. We all have this sense of not quite getting what we expected. For some, maybe you got more than you expected. Others, you just kind of going, man, you know, I was hoping marriage would be something different, but here I am today disillusioned, dissatisfied, and maybe even facing divorce. This series is critical for you to think about today. Because as you look around, 50% of marriages, depending on which book you read, but 50% kind of been, has been the benchmark, 50% of marriages end in divorce. So here's the question. Is that Okay. Is that okay? Because you help me understand any other area of your life, when it comes to something that's important to you, when are you okay with a 50% chance of losing it? Let me give you an example. If you knew there was a 50% chance today that your child would die in a car accident, how would you approach this day differently? Right? Would you even send them in a car that day? Or would you say, you know what? You're to be nowhere near a car today. Or maybe if you were going to put them in a car, you knew who the driver was. You did a background check on that driver. You put a bike helmet on your kid. And you put some football on your child because you're like, I'm not losing my kid today. But if you knew there was a 50% chance that would happen, you would face the day differently. Or if you knew that there was a 50% chance that when you left your house to catch fire and burn, how many would never have left your house? Or at least if you did, you'd put the sprinkler on or something, right, just to kind of keep it at bay. Why? Because you're not okay with those kind of odds. And how many of you knew that you would lose 50% of your income right now? Would be okay with that? How many might plan a bit differently? The reality is, in any other arena, this is never okay. Why is it okay with marriages? Why are we letting this occur as communities, especially within the community of faith, where the ratio is not that different of Christian marriages ending in divorce? Why can we be okay with this? Because the reality is, God's not okay with this. God gets pretty bold when it comes to the issues of marriage, and he says this, I hate divorce. Why does God hate it? Because he knows what it does to you. He knows how it kills you. He knows how it impacts your family. He knows what it does just to your, your future hope of relationship and marriage. That's why God hates it. 
So he's not okay with this. We shouldn't be okay with this. That's why we want to take these next four weeks and pour into your marriage, or as you're anticipating marriage, give you a perspective that maybe is healthy. So over the next four weeks, starting today, we're going to look at four vows. How many remember when you got married, you, you said vows, right? How many of you had written your own vows? How many just kind of used whatever the minister said? Like, if it's good enough for him, he's got God's man, I'll just say what he says, right? And so we, we, we repeat these words, and hopefully they come from your heart, not just from the mouth of the minister, and you just kind of say it. And these vows were given where? Before God as your witness and the, and the people who were gathered that day. And you made vows. So I'm going to look at four vows, not necessarily vows that you made in your marriage, but four vows that will, I believe will help us look at marriage in a more healthy way or strengthen the marriages that we're currently in. And so we're going to start today. The first one's going to be the vow of priority, keeping the priorities in the proper place in our relationships. We're going to talk about that today. Next week, we're going to talk about the vow of pursuit, the vow of pursuit, which means how do we continue to pursue our spouse after we have them? Guys, I know some of you are like hunters. You know, once you bag the deer, <laughs> that's it. The pursuit's over. But the truth is, that's not how it comes when, when, when it comes to marriage. How can I continue to pursue my wife or, or woman? How can I continue to pursue my husband rather than just chase after him, right? How can I pursue him? Then we're going to talk about the vow of partnership, how a covenant is different than a contract. Your marriage is not just a contract, your marriage is a covenant before God. We're talking about what the difference of that means. And then also in that, we're going to talk about leadership and submission. What does that look like in relationship? And I know that when we talk about submission, a lot of ladies get a little fearful. So, so come on, I want you to come hear a biblical perspective on leadership and submission when we talk about the vow of partnership. And the final one is going to be the vow of purity. And here's the deal. In your marriage relationship where there is secrecy, intimacy dies. All right? So we're going to talk about why it's important that we... We safeguard our marriage with the vows of purity, all right? That'll be our final week. So today we're talking about the vow of priority, the vow of priority, the vow of priority. Here's, here's a question to kind of kick this one off. Who meets your greatest needs? Okay? I, I know we all got the Sunday school answer. I mean, we all got it figured out. We've been to church long enough to know how we should answer that. But here's the thing. I want you to think with me for a moment about this. Who are you looking to? To meet your greatest needs. Because as humans, we have four core needs that we spend the entirety of our life trying to get met, all right? And those four needs, very quickly, they won't be on the screen for you, but I think you get them, is acceptance. Acceptance, that, that knowing you're loved and that you're valued by somebody else. That's an important core need that we have. Secondly, identity, knowing that you are individually significant and you're special, Okay, so there's the sense that I need the sense of identity. And aren't we today a culture wrestling with identity? Yes, we are. Thirdly, security, knowing you are well protected and provided for, a core need. And finally, purpose, purpose, knowing you have a reason for living, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. So these four areas, these are four core needs that we all have. And the question is, who are you looking to to satisfy those needs? Who are you trusting in. For some people, they've been trusting in themselves to provide for these needs, and that's not going to work. For others, you've been looking to your spouse or your kids or your career. And while these different aspects may have a portion of the answer to that need, that is not where we go to find those deepest core needs met. Let me just put it to you this way. Those four needs have been hardwired in us 
to point us toward a God who placed those needs there, who is also the same one who satisfies those needs. Those four core needs we have can only be satisfied when it comes to God. In fact, for many of us, we have been looking to have those answered in relationship. And because of that, your relationship didn't meet those needs. And when that spouse or that partner didn't give you that sense of identity, wasn't helping you with a sense of purpose, wasn't being that sense of security, you said, that's not the guy I thought he was, or that's not the woman I thought he was. Because here's what we've been taught. We've been taught kind of a fairy tale approach to marriage. And here's how it goes. If I can just find the one, if I can find the right one, all of my needs will be met. I mean, don't we see that in Hollywood? Don't we see that in fairy tale stories? If I could just meet the one, In fact, you remember what it was like when you found what you thought was going to be your life mate, and you said, oh, mom, I think I've met the one. He's so perfect. Or you might have said to your dad, oh, dad, she's so gorgeous. I know she's the one. And we talk about the one, and we we say it as though this is the one who's going to be the part that completes us. But here's something we have to understand. I want you to change your way of thinking. Rather than thinking about trying to find the one, Especially those of you who are looking toward marriage, those of you who are currently married, here's the deal. We're not going to be looking for the one or leaning on the one that we currently have. That person's going to be your two. Because here's the truth we need to set at the very beginning of this, of this message on priority. God is your one, and your spouse is your two. All right? I don't say this to belittle your spouse. Okay? But I need you to understand this, because even though we all have said that God is the one who meets our needs, isn't it true that too often we're looking for somebody else to do that? Because if God is not our one, you know what we do as humans? We look to people around us to be that one. And here's what I know about humans. We are prone to fail other people. We are flawed. We are not divine. Okay, last time I checked, I'm not God and neither are you. I don't have the ability to do that. And when I am saying to my spouse, oh, you're the one who will complete me and provide for all of my needs and satisfy the longings of my heart, you know what I'm doing? I'm setting that spouse up for failure because they can never be that person. Now, together, you should be looking to the one And in so doing, you will meet some of those needs in each other before God. But if we get this priority out of order, it will destroy your marriage. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. And that is something that we just kind of lay down. And in fact, let me just tell you, some of you who are struggling in marriage, the beginning of your healing will happen when you say God is the one. And my spouse is the two. What's that mean, men? That means that you need to get intentional about making God your one. Because when you make God your one, you're going to have the love and the grace and the mercy you need for your two. Women the same way. When God is your one, then his love fills your heart. He gives you that sense of security and purpose and identity. And then you're able to love selflessly your spouse. When we get this order right, God is our one. Because he is our one, God so loved that we then might what? Love. God so fills us with grace that we might be gracious. God so fills us with mercy that we might be merciful. He has so forgiven us that we might forgive. And if we get this priority wrong, your marriage is doomed. Now you might say, but I've known some pretty successful non-religious marriages. I get that. 
They might have worked really hard at that. But if God is not the one, if God is not the one, it is a hard row to hoe, isn't it? So we want to make God the one. In fact, Jesus addressed this, didn't he? In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, when he was asked, what's the greatest command? Jesus said these words, love the Lord your God, what? With everything you are, basically, right? With all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. What do we see? We see priority. Priority is God is first. And out of that loving relationship with God, what happens? This relational aspect then can take place. Love God and then love your neighbor. That is the priority Jesus established for us. And once Jesus is then working in your life, Everything else seems to work. How many noticed that when you came to Christ, it was kind of like stuff started clicking into place? He became your Lord, and from that, things began to work because he changed your perspective. He changed you, and in so doing, it changed the way life was operating around you. In fact, Jesus said it best in, this, in these words in Matthew chapter 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. That applies to your marriage. I know he was talking about provision uh, that we need for, for our resources. But let me tell you, when it comes to your marriage, same thing is true. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things, the issues you're dealing with in your marriage, all these things will be added unto you. Right? So who we seek first? God. God is our one. Our spouses are two. So here's a vow. For those of you who are looking to be married someday, this ought to be your operation right now, that I will seek the one while preparing for my two. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. And students, you need to listen to this. I will seek the one. Who's the one? God is our one. I will seek him. I'll pursue after him. I will trust in him while I'm pursuing my two. And here's why this is important. If we're making this person the one, then we're going to give our hearts too quickly. We're going to lower our guard too quickly. We're going to get involved physically way too quickly when we make this person the one. We don't. We make him the one. And that person we're pursuing and looking for, the two. Let me give you an example. There was a girl who grew up in church, loved Jesus, grew up in church, and when she graduated from high school and moved towards college, she had that crisis of belief when the faith that she had really wasn't her own faith. And she went away to college, and she began to live the college life with everything included, the partying, the drinking, the drugs, the sex, all of that that went with it. And one day when she was on campus, she happened to meet a man who attracted her. He was very handsome, very athletic, and he seemed to be a strong leader. And she went home and told mom, hey, I think I've met the one. I think I've met the guy that I, that I want to marry. Mom, he's, he's handsome. He's athletic. I think he's even a Christian. He seems to be a leader. There's a lot of good qualities about him. And her mom said something to her that I'm sure rocked her world and probably made her want to sass back to her mom. But what mom said was this. Oh, honey, I'm sure that that man is all you're describing me. I can tell you, honey, that a young man like that is not looking for a girl like you. What was she saying? He's saying? She was basically saying this. You're living a life that will not be attractive to that young man. You need to seek the one while looking for the two. In fact, I think Andy Stanley says it the best way in one of his books on the new rules of, of dating and sex. He says it this way. He says, become the person you're looking for is looking for. All right? Become the person you're looking for is looking for. So all of us have an idea of what that person should be like, but are we looking back at ourselves and saying, am I the person that I'm looking for 
is looking for. All right? So some of you want to find the young man who has good morals. Are you looking for the one who is looking for you? Are you living in that kind of way? That's the question we all have to ask. Those of you who are older, find yourself single today. Maybe you had a bad marriage, but are you, are you the one? Are you behaving like the one you're looking for is looking for? All right? What happens? We put God first. And in so doing, we can become the person you're looking for is actually looking for. We can work on that. Now, if you're already married, if you're already married, here's your vow. Your vow is this. I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. When God designed the marriage covenant, he did so with the intention that this special commitment would be, between man and woman, the most important human relationship among any other. Now, I'm talking about human level, right? We put God first. That's already been established. Now, let's talk about marriage. When he ordained marriage, it was to be the most important relationship between a man and a woman. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, we see the story of Adam. He was alone. And guys, you can, you can, feel, you can feel this statement. It was not good for man to be alone. And all the ladies in the house said, amen. It's not good for man to be alone. And God knew that. And so he looked for a suitable helper among all the creation, and it was nothing. And aren't you so glad, men, that there wasn't some kind of animal or other species out there that was the right partner for you? So what did God do? He put Adam into a sleep and took from his big toe, right? Took from his heel? Took from his head? No. Took from his rib. And from that rib created woman. You ever thought about why the rib? Man, those of you guys are getting hungry right now. This is probably pretty dangerous. It wasn't for the reasons you're thinking about, right? It wasn't barbecue. It wasn't some good old sweet sauce on that thing. No. I use this in, in marriages because the rib is near the heart. But that woman would earn your only and one true love on this earth. Secondly, from under the arm that she might receive your protection, right? And from his side that she might be an equal. So when you think about it, God knew what he was doing. He said, this woman and this man will be there for each other. And this relationship will be the most important relationship. And so after Eve was formed, he said, she'll be called woman. And the man said, whoa, man, All right? That's how we got the name woman. <laughs> and uh, you guys know what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Somebody knows, right? And he says it perfectly in Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to come back to this verse again and again over this series. It's going to be kind of our anchor verse, Genesis 2.24. Listen to what the Lord said. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. How many remember hearing that in your marriage ceremony? I've used it often in mine. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. The Hebrew word there is the word azab, which basically means to loosen or relinquish. And when it comes to the marriage relationship, before a person is married, the most important relationship they have on earth is mom and dad. Okay? As kids, we have been taught and trained that it's mom and dad. They're the most important relationship. They're the ones providing to a sense security and identity and all those things that through God, they're helping us to grow to know who we are. Most important relationship. And how many know that when you get married, 
You have to relinquish that position that your parents had now to your spouse and be united, or as the, the, as the Bible would say, to leave his, husband, his mom and dad and cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Now, some of you remember what this felt like in early days of marriage, that transition from mommy and daddy to spouse. And for some, that, that took a long time to transition out because mom and dad maybe didn't want to let go of, of the child. Or maybe you had a hard time letting go. Well, my mom does spaghetti this way. You know, it's like, those are like fighting words, right, ladies? What was supposed to happen? Marriage was to become the most important relationship between a husband and a wife. And it was to be honored. And if we put marriage in any position of priority other than the one that God instituted, then the marriage will not work as God intended. Some of you, your marriage has been placed in the wrong priority. And most of your marriage troubles, if you were honest, were misplaced priorities. But God is my number one. My spouse is my number two. They're not the one. I'm not looking for the one who's going to be all that. Because here's what happens. If you're looking for the one who's going to meet all your needs, you're going to idolize them. Because they're the ones that are going to meet all your needs. Oh, I can't do it without him. I can't do it without her. I, they comp- I need everything they have to give me. If they're the one, you idolize them for a while. And then when they fail you, what do you do? You demonize them. It goes from, oh, mom, he's so handsome, he's so athletic, he's so, he, he's so busy, he does so many good things, to years later, mom, he's a lazy turd. He just sits on the couch, <laughs> plays his PS4, and he does nothing. Right? You idolize, and then you demonize. That's what happens when you're looking for that person to be the one, rather than God being the one, and that person being the two. Misplaced priorities causes problems. And it also can create what I will call legitimate jealousy. Do you know there is such a thing as legitimate jealousy? Let me explain. You might see it happen when, as a husband, you see somebody trying to seduce your wife. And you feel a legitimate jealousy because something that is yours before God is now being threatened. It's legitimate. Some of you as parents, you might remember what this feels like. Maybe moms, you see some other kid picking on your kid, belittling them, calling names, or maybe you see somebody attempting to take your child. You have a legitimate jealousy. Why? Because right now that child is yours, and somebody else or something else that tries to come in and take them from you creates in your heart a sense of legitimate jealousy. So what does it mean? Here's what it means. Legitimate jealousy basically is the righteous emotion that causes us to protect what is rightfully ours. And in marriage, both spouses have a moral obligation before God and each other to protect that relationship from being violated from people or something outside that it's a lesser priority. When time and energy and resource that rightfully belongs to your spouse is given in some other way, in some other area, it would lead to legitimate jealousy. And you know that God has been a God who's been legitimately jealous? You know, we have to make jealousy this evil, bad thing, and there is a bad form of jealousy. But in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, hear this. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Okay? So we understand from this passage, one, jealousy is not a bad thing here in this context. 
Because what God is talking about is a legitimate jealousy. And it played out in the days of Israel when Israel would continue to turn their back on God and they would worship foreign gods. God said basically they were being adulterers. Why? Because they had given something else the energy and time that only God deserved. And God said, I am jealous. I'm a jealous God. There is such thing as a legitimate jealousy. But some of you over years, you've let that down. And you've let something else creep in and take precedence in your relationship. Let me give you some examples. Some of you, when you were dating, I remember when Trisha and I were dating, I worked at the fire department downtown, brand new station now, but I worked there when it wasn't so cool. And uh, I worked nights, and so I would, I would clean the executive offices, you know, where the chief was and all that, and then I'd sit down at the chief's desk, which always felt very powerful, and I'd, and I'd call and talk to Tricia when I'm supposed to be cleaning the fire station. I'd be calling, talking to her. Why? Because there was a sense when you were courting that you just had to be together, right? You were, you were just in love with each other. You were enamored by each other. You spent a lot of time together, and that was wonderful. And then eventually that courtship moved toward engagement where you kind of had a commitment level. Now we're engaged to each other. And in that process, you spent a lot more time together. You learned how to kind of fight through some things together too, right? During the engagement, you kind of learned how to work through those things. But you were together. You were planning together towards your future, and there was kind of this sense of anticipation and hope in your hearts all toward that wedding day. And the wedding day came, and you stood in love as that woman wearing white, and you were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm marrying her. And you said vows, and, and you remember those moments, and you moved into the honeymoon when it was just you two, enjoying a deserted island or wherever you went. For us, it was Disneyland, <laughs> because we're kids at heart. We love Disneyland. So you, you spent this time together building now intimacy physically with each other and exploring what it means to be in love and now having an appropriate outlet to express that love to each other. And then you come home and you, you have to go back to what? Real life. And now there's jobs. You have to go work. And, and eventually you move from being newlyweds to parents. And how many know that at that point, when you became parents... And that first little cherub came into your home. That little cherub had a way of upsetting the relationship. Up to that point, it really had been about the two of you. Hopefully God was still the one, but it had been about the two of you. And you were having a great time together, and now there's this third party as part of the relationship. And what can tend to happen now is... As they deserve, babies are, trust me, I love kids. I have four of them. I have a grandbaby. I mean, I love kids. But as that mom turns her attention toward the baby, what begins to happen in the hearts of the men? Uh, what about me? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> right? Baby's now taking a lot of priority attention. You're not getting what you need from your spouse. So what do you do, man? You begin to look elsewhere. It's either in a career or in some kind of activity, recreation, somebody else, and priorities begin to slip. And that child begins to take center place in the heart of mom and in the home. And pretty soon, parents, you know what this feels like? You feel like you're living for your kids. And then eventually those kids grow up. Eventually, they graduate from high school. Hopefully, by the time they're 30, they leave your house, right? And they leave your home. And then you're standing there looking at each other going, who are you? And what happened to that girl I married like 40 years ago? Or in our case, 25 years ago, right? What happened? What'd you do with her, right? What happens? You don't know each other. 
What you did is you put that priority relationship down low. Kids and career took place. And what was happening? A legitimate jealousy in our hearts. We still wanted to find that sense of, of, of connectedness, but now we began to look somewhere else. And when those priorities got out of order, that's when problems happened in your marriage. And some of you, when the kids left home, you had nothing to live with each other for. And some of you had to go through the hard process of basically dating and courting again and figuring out who this person is that now we're living in this house together that's way too big for the two of us. And I don't even know you. What happened? Misplaced priorities. Was it bad? No. I love kids. Is career bad? No. I understand. We have to work. But what happens when those priorities get out of order? Here's what happens. If you allow anything or anyone, no matter how good or how important, to take the time and energy that rightfully belong to your spouse, you're violating God's design for marriage. And this is where most of us have had marital problems. If your marriage wasn't going so great and you said to yourself, hey, let's have a kid, this will fix our marriage. Wow, that is like the worst idea ever, all right? Kids don't fix anything. You ever notice that? Kids have a way of messing things up, right? They don't fix. I mean, I love you guys, all right? But, you know, kids are messy, right? Doesn't fix anything. If you had a bad dating relationship and thought somehow marriage is going to fix it, no, it doesn't work that way. Priorities got out of whack, out of place. And if something, your career, your kids, or anything takes that place that only belongs to your spouse, you're in trouble. So what do we do? We protect the priorities. Protect the priorities. There was a time several years back when, when Jameson and Cambria were just little kids. We lived in Salem. I was pastoring up there. Lived in a two-story house, and, and Trisha could have swore somebody was breaking in downstairs. It was kind of early in the morning. You know what it's like, men, be woken up out of an absolute dead sleep, and your wife says, somebody's in the house, right? I felt like I was absolutely drunk. The floor was moving, my head was spinning, and I was trying to figure out who's in the house, what's going on, what day is it, right? And I, I stumbled down the hallway toward the staircase, and my heart is thumping 150 miles per hour. And I'm in my skivvies, <laughs> right? And I'm ready to be ninja on whoever is downstairs. <laughs> Why? Because if there is somebody coming into my space, I'm going to protect my kids and my wife. Right? Men, protect your priorities. Your marriage is your priority. God first is your priority. The problem is we've let our guards down, men. We've let our wife become God in our lives. And we've let her become the priestess of the home. And we've neglected our first priority, which is God. And when God is first in your life, then you can love your wife as you're supposed to which we'll speak more about as we continue this series. Protect the priorities. So how do we do that? You need to list them out. Men, some of you need to write down, these are my priorities. God is first. My spouse is second. My kids, my career, and wherever else those things fall. Because young families, I'm just gonna tell you right now, quit letting your kids be the center of your home. I love children. They need your attention. They need that. But they're not the center of your home. 
your marriages. And the best thing you can do for your kids is have a healthy marriage. And when you forsake your faith or your God or your marriage for the sake of your children, you're doing them no favor and you're doing yourself no favor. I've known too many families who have been so busy with their kids, they've not been able to establish faith in the hearts of their children. They haven't made coming to worship a priority. And what happens? Their kids don't have a faith in their God. Protect the priorities. God is first. My marriage, second. My kids. Protect the priorities. So as we end this series today, some of you need to kind of get your priorities back in line. So as we stand this morning and come to a close, can I just challenge you? Let's stand. Come on. It's okay. Stand. I want you to grab the hand of your spouse if, if you're touching each other right now. I know sometimes maybe you're, you're here together, but you're not touching each other. At least touch the hand of your spouse for a second. My spouse is back there. I'll, I'll touch your hand but through spirit, honey. Some of you need to commit right now to changing some priorities in your life. You know God has not been the rightful place that he should be in your life. If that's true for you, as we pray, you need to make a commitment to him. Say, God, I'm sorry that I have put my wife or my kids in a place only you deserve because my kids and my wife are going to fail me. They're not going to be what I need, but God, you're my priority. And when I get that right, everything else is going to work. Others, your wife has been shuffled or your husband has been shuffled down beneath way too many layers and the marriage is on the rocks and it's time to go on a date. Some of you have young kids that sleep in your bed with you all night. Knock it off. Just, I'm telling you in the love of Jesus, knock it off. Give them some Benadryl put them to bed. That space is yours. And I need to know mom and dad need time. And if you can't afford child care and you've never gone on a date since you've had kids, look around you. There's families right here that love you. And they'll watch your kids for free. So you can go date. Make it a priority. Let's pray. Father, you know what our priorities have looked like because we can't bluff you. We might be able to trick our kids or maybe even convince our spouse, but we could never pull one over on you, God. So I pray right now for each of us that we would just ask, God, where are you in this priority list of mine? And it's easy to see in how I use my time and my energy if I've really actually put you a priority. And if not, today, God, I commit to you that you're my one, that you are my one. I can't do this married thing without you. I can't find the spouse that I'm going to need on this planet without you being first. And I can't love my wife as she needs, or I can't be there for my husband as he needs without you being priority. I pledge that to you today, God. And I commit to my spouse anew and afresh today. Forgive me for the ways I've placed him or her low on the priority list. 
and I've wondered why our marriage hasn't been working, it's because our priorities have been misplaced. So I commit anew and afresh to my spouse today. And God, we love our kids, but help us know the greatest thing we can do for our kids today is have a healthy marriage. Because through that, they will feel secure. They'll see the picture of what this priority ought to look like. And that will be what they need. So God, we commit to praying for couples. We pray for singles right now. God, people in the room who are hurting because they've had a bad marriage. People who are hurting because they've lost their loved one to death. God, I pray your ministry right now to them. Perhaps you have a plan for them to find partnership. Perhaps not. But God, I pray you'd minister to them as we talk about marriage. That you are the healer. You're their hope. And I pray you would touch and minister their lives today in the name of Jesus. So thank you for this time we've had to gather together. And I pray that because of this, we'll see marriages healed. We'll see people happily married, committed to each, to each other, but to you first. So we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen.